And please take advantage of our text board that comes uh, directly here to the studio. You can instantly send us a message at 870-870. Questions, comments are welcome. We'd love to hear from our listeners in that fashion or use the telephone, 504-260-6368. Well, an ongoing discussion since early this morning when we talked about the commission meeting that was held in Baton Rouge this week and a presentation was made with regarding the status of speckled trout in Louisiana. I don't think there's any doubt uh, that anyone doubts the fact that speckled trout is on a downward trend as far as its population. It's called the spawning potential ratio, the number of fish that are left into the habitat to replenish and sustain the population. Uh, It's below what is considered um, normal or productive or healthy stocks. So in order to address that and put in a recovery program and eventually a management program to continue to keep it at safe levels. The department has come up with some science and to back that some data and also some options that will be presented to both the commission and also to the general public for final disposition. And the guy whose job that is to do all of that is a biologist with the department, uh, Mr. Uh, Jason Adrians. Jason, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on this morning, Don. Jason, uh, in order to, to save some time, I know part of your presentation involved uh, letting people know the commissioners in particular and the public, how we arrived at the, the science was used and what the data showed as far as a problem with speckled trout. And I don't think anyone at all doubts that. We have been discussing that on various programs and people I've talked to out in the field, and I don't think anyone disputes the fact that the speckled trout population is in a downward trend right now. Uh, so if you would, maybe just kind of give us a brief summary of what the situation is as far as the, the stocks of our speckled trout, but maybe not getting into the nuts and bolts of how the science was obtained. Sure, sure. If you recall, uh, we presented that back in September to the commission, and the end result was that that stock's been overfished since 2014, and we've had overfishing six out of the ten most recent years. And uh our spawning stock biomass, so those spawning individuals in the population are, are at the lowest levels we've ever observed. And our age structure uh, as well is uh, the, the proportion of those age three or older females that we see in the population is at the lowest levels we've seen. So it's a very truncated age, age structure, a lot of small young fish. And uh, our recreational landings also in, in relation to that dip to to some of the lowest levels we've seen while we still have a a continued increase in fishing effort. So what is the confidence level that the the data you have is accurate? Well, I mean, any assessment, obviously, you've got a lot of data that goes in there, and and all that data is going to have some error associated with it. And it comes down to this is this is the data we have we're, we're confident in it it's it's the best available that we have to work with so that in mind um recovery options what are the considerations for bringing that spr back to the target that it needs to be and i think your target date to bring that back is at this five-year period which would be 2025 what are some of the options that are going to be offered Sure. We presented, uh, if you recall, Thursday to the commission. Uh, we analyzed a variety of options to get what our our recommendation was at least a 20% savings. And when I say savings, that's a, a decrease 
and females landed. So a decrease in, in weight of landed spotted sea trout. That's how we modeled this based on our most recent data uh, that we see. And we presented a variety of options. We, we presented creel limit only options, size limit only options, a combination of creel and minimum size limit, and, and even uh, a, so we analyzed a slot limit. So there's, there's lots of ways you can get there. It's a matter of which one you want to choose. All right, so you did not go as far, or maybe you did and I haven't seen it, as to give them very specifics and say, okay, if we go to a 14-inch and a 10-fish limit, that will produce X. If we go to a 15- to 22-inch slot, that will produce Y. Uh, it hasn't been broken down for them that simplified yet, has it? Uh, well, we kind of, so we we ran projections based on, certain levels of savings and and we have those projections in relation to that spawning stock biomass or that spawning potential ratio and and the goal is to get those stock metrics back above at or above the target now you don't want to hover right around the target if you do that and we have some more issues or events then you're right back below the target Uh, but the the recommendation we had is we We'd like to see a recovery by 2025 using at least a 20% savings, so that 20% reduction in, in the landings. And there's, there's a variety of ways to get there. And we did ask the commission. One of the things we wanted feedback on was how, how do they want to see that recovery occur? Uh, how comfortable are they with a faster recovery, a slower recovery? Um, and one of the things we're also going to be doing is we're going to be scheduling public meetings to get that public input to see see what the public feedback is before we even come to the commission with with any potential changes they they uh, indicated that was that was what they wanted to see before we move forward I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I want people to understand, Jason, you are not the guy that's going to set or make these. Your job is to go out, get the numbers, crunch the data, and then make the presentations of what's out there. You are strictly pretty much the messenger of the one of, of delivering the options that are there. Uh, it's going to be the commission and with input from the fishing public that will actually determine which way we go. Uh, looking at the different options, uh, am I right in assuming that it looks like the minimum size increase is probably the fastest way to, as you put it, save more fish? Well, you as can compared to the other I, options. No, they actually you can, um, depending on the savings level that's chosen, you can get there. Um, one is not necessarily faster than the other. You can do it uh, with one or the other or combinations thereof it it's one is not necessarily faster than the other um, yeah. where where you can where you can get that faster recovery is how how painful as we talked about you know slower is less painful faster is more painful if you bump up say you the decision was made that we want to save 50 percent uh right off the bat um then that's where you can generate that faster recovery. It becomes in terms of the amount of of harvest you want to reduce in that terms of savings, not necessarily that X size limit is faster than X bag limit. Mm-hmm. 
So when these regulations, whatever they are, when they're finally decided, uh, will the laws and I guess the, the rules of commission and setting seasons and regulations, will it make it hard and fast to where it can't be modified if we get a year or two down and your sampling show that it's not working and something else needs to be done? Will it be able, is it going to be that flexible to where it could change from year to year during that five-year period? So we we provide that information to the commission, and anytime we would see anything like you mentioned, let's say a, a, a regulation is put in place and we're recovering faster than thought, <clears throat> we can present that, and then the commission can, can decide to walk back any regulations. That's certainly their option. Or by the same token, if, if we come back and say, look, these rules were put in place, but we're just not recovering like we thought, it's certainly at that point, again, their option to ratchet up those regulations. So that flexibility is there in the process. That, that's, that's the commission. They, have, they certainly have that authority, and, and we certainly are going to present any information we have as we're going through this. Very good. Jason, if you stay with me, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the time frame for this, when you think those uh, regulations might be adopted and when fishermen would be affected as far as changing uh, what they're catching as far as size or daily creel or even a slot limit. And also, i got a few questions that have been texted in that people want to know about the biology of speckled trout. We're talking with Jason Adrians, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries Biologist. If you got a question or a comment, I suggest you text it. Probably the fastest way to get it to us, 870-870. We're back right after this. Good Saturday morning from WWL 105.3 FM HD2. And we live stream, easy to find us, radio.com. And thanks for tuning in this morning. If you're just getting with us, Jason Adriance is with us. He's a biologist, Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. He made a presentation to the commission uh, giving the status on speckled trout, which uh, was introduced initially last spring or summer. Can't remember now. But anyway, uh, the fact that the fishing, the speckled trout have been overfished for quite some time. They're no longer at a safe uh, spawning potential ratio and uh, that needs to be improved and the targeting five-year period to make some changes in the regulations to achieve that and the options have been presented to the commissioners and then with input from the public after a series of public hearing uh, they will be announced. Uh, Jason I I got a lot of comments this morning on on the whole situation and uh, I'll I'll get you to address a couple of the ones that have been recurring and one of them is because my goal is to try to give people as much information as they can, some knowledge that they can make a, a logical decision on what their preference is. I get a lot of people, and I call them backyard biologists, and they pick a number, oh, I'd like 14 inches and 10 limit, without really understanding that there's science behind that and there's things that drive whether you use one option as opposed to another. So providing them and educating with as much information as possible, they can make better choices. And one of the things that has been recurring is on the spawning female trout. Uh, people want to know which ones are the better ones. Some people believe that the older, bigger fish have the genetics to produce more bigger fish and that they are more prolific. Others say that it's those smaller ones, those 12 and 13, 14 inches, those are the very prolific spawners. When it comes to a, a female trout that's more valuable to the population as a spawner, which is better, bigger, older fish or younger, smaller fish? So in short, uh Neither, and I'll explain. There, we we have there's no 
concrete science that eggs from a larger, older female are any more viable than from a smaller fish. Now, they do, per body weight, <clears throat> if you're looking at it, those bigger fish, they do put out a lot more eggs, but there's nothing to say there those are any more fit or viable than from a smaller fish. And the proportion of those older fish in the population is smaller. So while they may put out more eggs, um, there's not as many of those fish, but, but by the same token, those smaller fish aren't putting out as many eggs per spawn. Uh, but you may have more of them. Uh, they, the idea is to rebuild that age structure uh, so we're talking two things. We've got individual fish fecundity, which with the bigger ones, as I said, they're going to put out more eggs. But then if you look at the population as a whole and and the output right now, it's it's those younger fish that are the majority of, of our spawning population because we don't have any older fish. Um, but you can weather, because it's all those earlier year classes, uh, getting back at the rebuilding the population idea. If we have some event, uh, another 89 freeze or something of that manner that really whacks a year class, you're in better shape if you have that age structure rebuilt and you don't have, uh, pardon the pun, all your eggs in one basket in one age class. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a wash as which one produces the most eggs because you've got a bigger fish with more eggs, but you've got more fish with fewer eggs. But it's better to have a good mix of both because that will protect you against sudden catastrophes and have a better age spread, and you won't have those gaps. So uh, I get that. All right, the other thing that keeps coming up is the impact that charter captains have on the overfishing. Uh, And I noticed on the angler trip harvest frequency chart that it seems to be an outlier. You know, you've got the majority of people that make it per trip in angler. They're going to catch somewhere between uh, five and one fish. Somewhere in there is where most of them come in. Then you've got a very small percentage that catches uh, between, say, uh, seven and, and 24. But then all of a sudden, when you hit to 25, the maximum limit, it takes a little bit of a bump. Not a big one, maybe about maybe four or five percent. Is that reflective of the charter industry, which is a smaller group but a more efficient group, or for some other reason maybe you just got an abnormally high number of people who like to brag and say, I catch the limit all the time? How do you account for that 25 being you know, an unusual uh, spike at the end of the chart? That's that's what you it, – it's a combination of both. It's, it's your uh... – your more efficient anglers and your more efficient charter operators. That's what you're seeing there. We actually did some back of the envelope calculations. It, it's nothing we presented yet to, to try to see if, if we looked at our data and we backed out, if we assumed on every guide trip that a guide limit was taken and we backed out those numbers and then apply that to looking at savings to the population, it's, it's minimal. It's, it's 1% or less that, that you'd end up saving if, if you remove that limit. So it it's not a large impact. I, that's exactly what I thought. But yet people, as a perception, see that these guys are successful and they see the pictures. Of course, they're promoting a business, and they are much better fishermen. Let's just face it. They're good. They're out there. They, they've mastered the techniques. A lot of them have been doing it for years and years. But in the whole scheme of the total number of anglers out there pursuing fish, one percent, you're saying, it's a very small impact to the whole overfishing problem, right? Uh, correct. It appears that way. Okay. 
time frame. What is the next move? When will um, those public hearings be scheduled? And then how many commission meetings will have to come by before the commission assesses what the public says and then they debate amongst themselves what they think is the best way to go and then turn it back over to the department to implement those regulations? What are we looking at time-wise? Sure, and that's going to be very dependent on how soon we can schedule these public meetings. Uh, that's actually I'll be uh, – I'll be working on that next week, trying to find locations and getting those scheduled. Um, and then uh, so I'll, ha- I'll have to deal with what locations we can we can get in a short time frame and, and working around. I guess we have Mardi Gras coming up. And, and so we'll get those scheduled. We'll have those. And then after that, we'll come back to the commission. And assuming we came back to the commission with a potential uh, rule, uh, let's say we get the public meetings done throughout February, uh, and we could come in March, which I think is probably a a fast timeline, then it's about a, generally it's about a six month process when we're, when we're making rules, we'll, we'll present those rules and then the commission will vote on that. It has to publish in the state register. There's a public comment period, uh, that's usually at least about 45 days while that has been published then there's legislative oversight. Uh, that's usually a 30-day process. And then the rule would come back to the commission for, for final approval, and then it could be published in the, the following state register. So generally, once a notice of intent comes forward with, with some potential regulations, it's probably a six-month process. So we'd be looking at any new regulations going in force at the earliest this fall probably. Uh, that's that's likely, and and so those savings I presented on Thursday to the commission, they were based on any regulations beginning in 2020. So when we look at those, they'll obviously shift in time based on however long anything takes to to be put in place. Okay, so um, it, will there be a mechanism? You know, now we're in this age of social media. And, you know, I've watched with the, a lot of the, the special hearings that the, the, they put out for the public. They're just poorly attended when I go to them, particularly for the hunting. Now, this, I think, will be different. I think there will be a, a much bigger turnout for people that voice their opinions on this. But will there be a way for them to, to comment through email or social media, and then you can, you can get so much more input in a short period of time, and it's all concise and right there for you? Will, will that be part of the public comment? Sure. And anytime we bring a rule forward, actually my email ends up being in, in the the statement that mentions public comment will be taken for, for however long there's, there's our address to where you can, you can still, if you choose to write and send it snail mail, you can send a, a comment to headquarters uh, or you can email me directly with your comment. That'll all be part of that process. And we're going to, we're going to try to work with, Sea Grant in these public meetings as well to uh, get them. They have these nice voting clickers that they use in some of their meetings, and we can we can ask some questions and actually get some statistics from the public meetings on on how people mm-hmm. feel. Will it be the department's responsibility and role to present 
uh, as I was talking about earlier, some precise scenarios and give that to the commission? Or are you just going to, you know, give them the data in its form that you've got them and then just let them put it together as far as some of the combinations or, or options that they would choose to have, you know, c- to consider? Yeah, so that's that's the 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 commission. We Obviously, if we bring a rule, there's going to have to be something in there as a starting point. But the idea is to show them these are the savings you can achieve in these time frames. How you get there is uh, is up to you. It's like when you take a road trip, you you can get from point A to B, uh, taking several different roads. Which one do you want to take? That's that's the the commission's decision in this process is is how do they want to get there. So when someone goes to these public hearings, will information be presented to them that will tell them, all right, if you go with a 14-inch minimum and a reduction to 10 fish per person, this will bring back enough fish to recover within a, a five-year period. And But if you go with a 16-inch minimum and you reduce the limit to eight fish, that will get it done quicker or, or in three or four years. Will it be that specific that the public will be asked to, to sure. consider? Or is it going to – it will be. Okay, good, good. Well, I can – so that will be presented. And, and in my presentation, that's information that's there, and it's going to be my job to, to give folks that information when we're at those public meetings uh, to show them here, here's a percent savings, these percent savings recover the stock by, by this year. And so if you're shooting for that, you can do it in these, these ways. You, you can choose this size limit with this creel or just this size limit or this slot limit. Uh, and, and that's the issue. It's not one specific thing that gets you there. There, you you can, as I mentioned, right. you can get there in multiple different ways. Very good, very good, Jason. Really enjoyed uh, talking with you and getting that information. If you have a few minutes to spare, if we take a break, can you stay with me long enough to kind of touch on that red snapper uh, issue that you presented? To sure, me? sure. I'll refill my coffee and we can do that. <laughs> okay, I'll do the same, and we'll meet back here in about three minutes. I hope you'll stay with us. You're listening to More Outdoors. We switch from speckled trout to red snapper. Coming up next right here on More Outdoors. Now, welcome back in More Outdoors. Don Dubuque along with Jason Adriance. He is the biologist with the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fishery. We've been talking about the speckled trout issue, which is uh, just really coming about, and it's going to be talked about and discussed for, for several months now before any final changes are made to restore and continue to manage our speckled trout populations at a safe level. Uh, We're going to talk about red snapper, which is another issue. But, Jason, before we move on to that, I probably should have asked you this earlier because there's been a lot of people commenting on this, and I just got another text in about the same thing. Uh, They wanted me to ask you about the decline of speckled trout uh, in relation to the BP spill and freshwater diversions. you know, the way it was presented, it was an overfishing situation. But has that been taken into account, the bill, the BP spill, and then this double opening of the Bonacari spillway this year? How much impact has that had on the declining speckled trout numbers? So we don't, uh, we don't model those things explicitly in an assessment. That's, that's all fed in through that background data we're we're not at that point in in fishery science yet where we're we're able to take all that ecosystem data and and feed it into the assessment there's there's some guys with a lot bigger brains than mine working on that uh, around the country and and they're 
they're starting to dabble with that in, in the federal assessments, but it's still it, that sort of information to feed into a stock assessment requires a, a lot of data taken over over a long time, and, and it's like with, with all our issues, time and money. Um, so while it's not intrinsically in there, uh, you're going to pick up habitat effects in that assessment. It, it's just not you're not able to point to it specifically and say, oh, look at this trend. That's because of this environmental factor. We know there are environmental factors that impact trout, but uh, modeling those specifically, we're just not there yet. And it would be the same case with habitat loss and degradation too. Correct. And as, as we lose that habitat, we know you know, the more you lose that habitat, especially for for those juveniles, uh, trout and redfish, both as as you lose more of that, there will come a point where there's going to be a problem. Got it. Okay, let's talk about red snapper. Uh, where are we on the red snapper as far as last year's allocation? Did we meet it? Did we exceed it? And what are they talking about doing to modify the framework of setting the season for 2020? Sure. We, um, as you know, we've had about a, or or maybe not. So I'll let everyone know. We had 109 days of red snapper fishing this year to include the EEZ. So that was great. We we had plenty of opportunity for our anglers, and uh, for our limit for for this year, we ended up 31,900 pounds over. So we we didn't leave any fish on the table. Went a little more over than than I would have preferred, but that's good. We didn't leave any on the table. So we'll have to end up deducting so, a little bit from, from next year. That was my next question, if we got to pay them back. But that's that's not a big number. So what happens from here forward for 2020 with Red Snapper? Sure. Now, so with the, the last two years, we were under that exempted fishing permit through NOAA. Now, moving into 2020, we have the state management of Red Snapper. So that's that's being delegated to the states and and we get to manage that fishery now we did we the the commission did move forward some a notice of intent that modifies the red snapper season at at the meeting thursday however that's just that's just aligning that season with what has been uh the status quo as of late uh, the season on the books had started previously or, or was scheduled to start on the saturday before palm sunday uh and in previous years, we had either started before that or as of recent years, we've started later and closer to Memorial Day. And we would have to take action to delay that season before we even started the season. So just to just to clean things up, that, that season start date was shifted. Now, that doesn't take anything away from how this process is still going to work. It's still we're still going to go to the commission generally in April, give them a presentation and let them set that red snapper season um, at their discretion. Very good. Um, I think this is really one of the big success stories of maybe not just the comeback, because I think we all know that the fish were there. Uh, It was just the the, the misreading of the data by the federal management that was going on. But when the state took it over, we've gotten so much more opportunity, and, and people continue to go out there and, uh, for the, pretty much from what I'm hearing, pretty happy with what we've got out there, and I think we're glad to have it. And the department certainly can take a bow on that for the, you know, bringing in the La Creole program and 
and convincing uh, the feds that we could do a much better job of management. And I think that's ongoing, and I think it's really starting to show through now. So I think the future for snapper fishing and then with our rigs to reef program going to be accelerated. I was over at the, the department the other day, and I was talking to some of the CCA members who were there, and, boy, I mean, they, they've got some big plans to, to put a lot more structure out there and, and really continue to enjoy more and more red snapper fishing. I think that's one of the real positive things that we can talk about. It's great to hear. Well, Jason, I think that about covers it. Uh, I want to keep you on retainer. I'll probably be calling you back over the next few months because this is going to be a huge issue, maybe the biggest issue the department has undertaken in, in quite a while. And there's a lot of interest in speckled trout, and a lot of people have different perspectives of what they'd like to see and what they want to see. But, hey, that's all the process. And, you know, you got to manage people as well as managing fish. And I think the managing of the fish might be easier sometimes. <laughs> That's right. It's a it's a it's a public rules process. So. Very good. Thanks for coming on a Saturday morning, Jason, and, and really putting all this in perspective and capsulizing it for us. And look forward to those public hearings being announced and and onward from there, getting those speckled trout back. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. All righty, we'll be back right after this time out and uh, get to some of your text messages that have been coming in. God, they're all over the board this morning. I guess it's just weather. Got everybody sitting around and uh, stir crazy and get their mind gets thinking and all these different things come up. So we'll get to some of those. If you want to send us one, 870-870. Also, I'm going to remind you, you know, we, we do a poll on my website at DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com, and I did a poll that said a preliminary report indicating the speckled trout population has been for years and currently overfished. If regulation changes are deemed necessary, what change would you prefer? That's the question coming up now. I'll tell you what our listeners and your fellow sportsmen said back then. Right after this, we're back in three minutes, right after this on the More Outdoors program, streaming live on Radio.com. All right, taking a look at our southeast Louisiana radar, uh, the system is uh, continuing to move east. It's in Hammond now, the leaning edge. Uh, the trailing edge still uh, just kind of clear in Baton Rouge. And then behind it, clouds and uh, light rain. And uh, the worst is yet to come. If you are east of the Hammond area, it's starting to move into St. Tammany Parish and also the uh, West Jefferson, I'm sorry, yeah, west from part of Jefferson Parish and eventually would be into New Orleans, and then the Gulf Coast is going to get their share. It seems to be weakening, but not a whole lot. Uh, good news is it's moving pretty quickly, and the better news is there's some uh, bright, better weather for tomorrow behind it. Anyway, that's kind of your weather picture. I uh, got an update a few minutes ago, someone traveling east on I-12 to the bad stuff. They encountered at 10 after 8 between Denham, and then it ended when they hit Hammond at 8.30. Well, guess what? It's going to eventually catch back up to you when you stop. Uh, so you're not totally out of it, but you did drive through it. All right, here's a comment. And, again, remember when you hear these comments, this is not Don's comment all the time. This is I'll let you know when it's one of our listeners, and this is one of our texters. says, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. I think the biologist the commission should be listening to are the charter boat captains because they're out there 365 days, not just when they feel like the day is right. Now, I agree that charter boat captains are a tremendously valuable source of data, but it's just one source of data. And the biologists you're talking about that the commission should be listening to or the ones they are listening to 
they accumulate the data from charter captains, from recreational fishermen, their own personnel that go out with gill nets and do studies. Uh, their job is to accumulate as much information as they can. As valuable information as a charter boat captain may have, that information is only going to be specific to one area, that area that he specializes in. So he's not really seeing the whole forest. He's seeing a couple of trees, and it's important. I agree with you. But it's not the end all, and it's not the law that should be dictated that the commission should put all of their eggs into the charter captain's basket. No, that's just one part of it. So anyway, that's the thought on that. Here's one that says, um, let's see. Oh, that was looking for John Flores's phone number. And another one on John Flores. All right, people, here's a comment. People need to learn how to handle fish as not to kill as many. Obviously, and that goes for every species, you know, and there are some tips. If you look in the uh, handbook for Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries or you can go on their website, there's some uh, safe handling of fish to ensure uh, live release. You know, one of the things that people don't realize and you know, people love to take pictures now. They're taking pictures of each other and selfies with fish and game. Uh, when you got a fish, you know, the best, worst thing to do is grab a fish with dry hands. Because what happens, uh, the fish is slimy, and you're going to take the slime off of the fish and get it on your hands. Well, the fish slime is a protective outer layer, and it, it wards off a lot of bacterial and that can lead to infections and sores and eventually death so uh, to try to keep the fish wet wet your hands before you grab the fish or use a towel uh, probably the wet hands is probably the best if you intend on releasing it uh, and then in the case of redfish uh, you let the fish swim off if you know because a lot of times particularly the big redfish and in the summertime when the water's hot if you're using light tackle to fight a big redfish that fish is pretty much played out. I mean, it's just about ready to give it up when you bring it in. And if you just dump it right back into the water, it's not going to be able to swim off and survive. So the best thing to do, keep it wet, take your picture, do it as quickly as you can, and then hold the fish by the tail, right above the, where the, the, the fork of the tail is. Put it in the water and let it just kind of work back and forth, not moving it forward and backwards i'm talking side to side let that water pass over the gills that's how it's pulling oxygen out and when it's on its own strength you know if it turns upside down it's pretty much going to be a goner but you keep it right side up and then let it kind of kick you'll you'll feel it start to wave that tail and when it's enough to pull it out of your hand it'll swim off and that's some good advice on redfish speckled trout even harder to keep um Speckled trout, try to do as little damage as you can to the gills and the mouth when you're removing hooks and, and releasing them. Uh, and any fish, the, the, the less time spent out of the water, the better. Sometimes you can put them in a live well if you need to really revive them and then release them. But uh, the less fish that are killed and the more that are returned to the water alive only keeps the, the numbers better. All right, here's a thought. The limits should be reduced to maybe 14 inches and 10 fish. Just how many fish does a person need anyway? Well, as we were talking about, and that might might hit on it, but I think that probably if you go to 14 inches, maybe 10 will do it. But if you keep it at 12 or 13, I think you got to go lower than 10. And I'm just looking at data. I'm not a biologist, but I don't have the specific numbers yet. And Jason said that that would be forthcoming. But looking at what uh, size limit increases and bag limit reductions do, 
I would think uh, that, you know, that could be pretty close to it. But if you go any smaller than that, you're going to have to cut the number of daily bag limit. All right, here's one that says, I have no problems cutting the limit to 15, and if things don't change, increase the size limit to 16. Now, let me tell you, you go to a minimum size limit of 16, I don't think you'll have to worry about cutting the limit to 15. It will take care of itself. 16 inches is a pretty big speckle trout. That's four inches away from the minimum right now, and a lot of the fish that are being kept and taken out of the water right now are in that size range. They're less than 16 inches, so... Well, you know, we'll see what happens with that. That's the thing. Everybody's got their own opinion on what needs to be done, and uh, hopefully the information will be available. You can go on the department's website right now and and find all this data that I've been looking at and talking about. It's there in the speckled trout report. And if you care to look at how they arrived at that science, that's there too. Uh, I didn't get Jason to explain that in detail because I just don't think it's necessary. I think that Pretty much everyone is, and there's a few people that say we got no problem with the speckled trout. We don't need to change the regulations. Uh, there's a very few people, but most people will tell you, yes, there's definitely a, a downward trend in our speckled trout, and we need to take some action to restore it. All right, here's one that says, Don, out deer hunting in and around Tylertown, Mississippi. Had to get down going riding this out in my truck. Weather getting bad. Good idea. If you're an exposed deer stand, especially uh, an open stand in this kind of weather, and you, you know, again, climbing a tree or you, you're strapped to a tree, not a good place to be with this kind of wind. Uh, it's best to ride it out in the truck, and then as soon as it passes, you can get back on your deer stand. I'll be doing some of that tomorrow. It's going to be my deer hunting day. All right, here it looks like it's all done over in Lafayette. Slight rain, no wind, and temperatures are dropping. It's coming your way. That's from our friend, the Lafayette Yak, who's been with us all morning. Uh, let's see. Here's one that says, Don, the duck crisis could be negatively affected by irresponsible marsh building by filling in historic staging areas. Um, I have a tendency to agree with that, that listener. Um, there, I don't know if I'd call it totally irresponsible, but there's some marsh renovation uh, filling in that's going on, particularly in the North Shore and on federal property, Big Branch, Bayou Sauvage, National Wildlife Refuges. Uh, they're doing some filling in there, and those are some staging areas where ducks stay, and uh, they've actually making it negative, but I guess that may be for the short-term with long-term hopes in mind. All right, um, yeah, duck crisis. Don't forget uh, the, the, the Flyway Federation show that we did uh, two weeks ago on the 28th, on the 8 o'clock hour of this program. It is now up and available to listen to. Uh, go to radio.com or www.com on my website and look back at the past shows and you can listen to the replay. All right, here's, oh, this is a very important. I've been getting this a lot this week. Don, my cable provider in Thibodeau Spectrum dropped CST, Cox Sports Television, from my channel lineup. That's where I watched Bayou Wild. What other options do I have for viewing? Thanks, faithful listener. Well, faithful listener, you, you do have some other options. Uh, you get channel 54 in Thibodeau. And true, it's on at four. It was on at four o'clock this morning on Channel 54 every week. Uh, DVR, DVR it. You can record it and watch it when you like. Uh, those DVRs, you can set them to record at a certain time weekly, and then you can catch it later on during the day. You'll catch every program. Or go to YouTube, Bayou Wild TV slash YouTube. We air every program on YouTube. 
Um, outside of that, I don't know if you in Thibodeau if you get WBRZ Channel Two. It's on every uh, Saturday morning at 6:30 on WBRZ, and there's replays on their WBRZ Plus channel. Uh, if you go to their site, you can uh, find out the schedule of where it will air there. So you do have other options. Hopefully, Cox Sports TV will get reinstated. Uh, they're also uh, off on the charter system, and a lot of people uh, are missing the program there. But there are other ways to watch it. And then we got Don. Speaking of speckled trout, last weekend I made some trout mounier, a la mounier. Fresh Meyer lemons I had picked for jelly making. Delicious. Hope the populations come back. Yeah, trout meuniers are pretty, pretty good. And uh, I'd like to try some of that jelly, lemon jelly. I'm a big lemon guy. All right, um, let's see what else we have here. Um, the Condon Hunting Club is checking in. No hunting for us today. Instead, we're headed right through this bad weather to a little town above Opelousa to get a beautiful pair of puppies started in the rabbit pen. It's all part of the cycle of having rabbit dogs. Thanks and safe travel to all the crazy Cajuns out here in this weather this morning. Yep, I got a rabbit hunt planned coming up. Um, boy, maybe I could get out there with you convent hunting club guys, too. We, we'd love to go do a film on rabbit hunting. I haven't been rabbit hunting yet this year, and, boy, it's a great sport. Beagles is what makes it for sure. All right, let's see. Um, here's another one, the trout situation. Increase the out-of-state license fee. Guides should not be allowed to possess a limit while chartering. What about the amount of trout you can have in your possession, say, over the course of a week or a weekend? Um, first of all, the out-of-state license fee, they get a break if they fish with a guide. I mean, the license fee to come here for an out-of-state is pretty steep. But the guide uh, fee is very reasonable, and that's to stimulate tourism. Uh, if people come and they fish with a guide while they're here, they're going to spend other money, and it's the ripple effect, and the state looks at it that way. Uh, but you could make an argument that they need to pay at least as much as any other person fishing, whether it's with a guide or not. Another one says uh, that the second part of that was uh, about the guides not possessing a limit while chartering. Um, and, and, you know, Jason Adrian's adjusted that because, and I, and I really ask you, if you really want to get involved in the nuts and bolts and get some information and make good informed decisions and statements, look at their, this, this report on the speckled trout and look under the angler trip harvest frequency. And that 25 limit little spike, he said that represents the charter boat. Now, not just their personal limit, the charter boat industry, all the customers on their boat, all year long, all the charter guides represent 1% of the total speckled trout harvest. So the guides limit, if you say it's one-third of that, you're talking about one-third maybe of 1%. Some guides I know do not keep any fish. They do not count their limit <clears throat> on the boat. So if you do that, it's even less. It's a very, very small number. And, you know, perceptions are always different than the reality. But, again, sometimes you got to push the weeds apart and dig in and look in there to get to the right, the correct information to help you make a, a logical decision or an argument. And the fact that guides not being able to possess their limit while chartering, that has got such an insignificant impact to the whole problem. 
All right, and then uh, let's see. Oh, we got. I think we got almost all of them. There's a few that I'm not going to have time to get to because we've only got a minute left. And I do want to mention to you, if you're going to be watching uh, Bayou Wild TV, uh, this week, very appropriate, Rescue in the Marsh taking place by the U.S. Coast Guard. Also, we got a great pheasant chowder. You could substitute quail or maybe even chicken. Uh, Laney Wick and Martha Spencer in the kitchen of Martha Spencer whipping up some pheasant chowder. Really good stuff. You can watch it uh, coming up at right now, 9 a.m. this morning on Cox Sports TV. Bayou Wild. Also tomorrow at 8 a.m. and tomorrow night our regular 7 p.m. showing. And then on Thursday, a 7 o'clock special airing. And then again at 6.30 on Friday morning. You can catch that on Cox Sports Television. If you don't get Cox Sports TV, WBRZ Baton Rouge, WUPL New Orleans, Southeast Louisiana University Channel, ETEL Vision System, as well as always on YouTube. We'll see you all next week with another edition of More Outdoors. Be safe.